Cool. Well, I, I hope I can offer some insights or any or anything of value. <laughs> If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. You're listening to Sapnin Podcast. Sapnin. Sapnin. You are listening to episode 149 of Sapnin Podcast with myself, Sean Smith, and my good friend, Morgan Richards. Yes, it's me, Morgan Richards. And this week, we've scored a blockbuster Uh, guest to soundtrack a supernatural conversation. Yes, this week's guest is composer, producer, musician, and all-round fantastic human being, Tyler Bates. Yes, and what a legend to so many different aspects of music Tyler Bates is. He's a huge name behind the scenes when it comes to record producing, scoring major Hollywood films, and renowned touring guitarist. He's done it all And this is a very unique opportunity for us to explore the art of composing as well as his overall phenomenal career. I mean, when you just look at his movie credits alone, it's enough to blow your mind, right? Tyler has helped soundtrack iconic franchises like John Wick, Guardians of the Galaxy, 300, Deadpool, Halloween, Fast and Furious... Dawn of the Dead, it just keeps going on. It's absolutely insane. And I think this is just one conversation that you and I just nerded out, wanting to learn more of this mad world. Yes, yes, he was absolutely super, Tyler. Thank you very much for coming on. Thank you very much to his people for setting it up. Um, We had a fantastic time. And I don't, you know, I don't want to spoil the interview you're about to listen to, but... um, Let's just say David Asloff gets mentioned <laughs> and Tyler's on about hooking us up with David Asloff. So uh, I'm not saying any more than that. You have to no. listen on. But what a fantastic chat with the absolutely lovely Tyler Bates. Thank you very much for coming on, brother. Yeah, yeah. Well, fingers crossed uh, the Hoff can come on. But it's just nice to have someone over a different aspect of the industry and especially getting into the world of films. Tell yes. us a lot more about that. Well, yeah, it was, it's a very, very different chat to our normal ones about touring and being in a band and stuff. And, yeah, we were really, really excited to do it when we got offered it. And, um, yeah, very, very, very much enjoy it. And I believe you will too, listener. Dear listener, 
You're going to enjoy this, I think. <laughs> but not only that, but on top of everything, he's produced for the likes of Bush, Jerry Contrell from Alice in Chains, and obviously was the guitarist for Marilyn Manson for a few years, who he does talk about, but we don't dwell on too much due to recent allegations and all that. Um, but you're going to hear a very special insight into the world of music and film. Unbelievable antidotes on a lot of his back catalogue. Anecdotes. That anecdotes. too. You're going to get that too. And he's given us antidotes. <laughs> he's given us some the cure to music. You drink this and you can play anything on guitar. Uh, as well as just how awesome... Keanu Reeves is as a person. A few um, extra paranormal activities and one thing that scared slash floored us right at the end of the conversation too. So you have to stay tuned for all of it because it's... uh it's, 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 it's uh, yeah, didn't it's expect so fucking... that. <laughs> the more I think about it, the madder the chat is. Let's get this, let's get this fucking fantastic, well-renowned fucking producer and guitarist on. What are we talking about? Ghosts, class. <laughs> yeah. Class. Oh. Absolutely class. But yeah, if you enjoyed this episode or any of the other episodes, please check out patreon.com forward slash sapnin where uh, there is a load more extras and behind-the-scenes stuff for you to check out. And um, it all goes back into supporting this podcast and making us, uh, helping us to make this each and every week. So thank you very much to everybody who's already a part of our Patreon. Uh, if you've listened to two or more episodes of this, come on, man. Just join the gang. Patreon.com forward slash something. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash S-A-P-P-E-N-I-N. And while I'm also spelling things, give us a shout out on our socials, on Twitter and Instagram, at Sappeninpod. That's at S-A-P-P-E-N-I-N-P-O-D. That's at S-A-P-P-E-N-I-N-P-O-D. And tell us who you want as a future guest. Tell us what you thought of this episode. Tell us what you thought about previous episodes. And, um, yeah, any questions you have or ideas or anything you want to suggest, you can get in touch with us at Sappening Bloody Pod. Forget yes. the bloody bit. Yes, please. I agree with everything Sean just said. And our Patreon community is one of the favorite things we've ever done. We're going to be celebrating a, a lot of milestones very, very soon and doing some in-person meetups and all that malarkey. So if you want to get involved, patreon.com forward slash Sappening is the best way to support us. But let's not dwell on anything else for the moment because the legend that is Mr. Tyler Bates is going to be talking about everything, music, films, video games, and his new DC Dark Knight's death metal project, which involves soundtracks and short films, including everyone from Andy Biersack to David Hasselhoff. If you want to know more, it's coming up right now. Sapnin! Sapnin! I am going to fucking hassle a hoff if he sends me his email address. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Sapnin! 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 Yeah! I wasn't sure. Yeah, I wasn't sure then. Sorry, second. I got snagged there for a second because you asked for the magic clap, and I'm thinking I've Uh tried to avoid that my whole life. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, me, and there's me just throwing it around willy nilly. (laughs) Quite Uh, That's that's how you get it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, this week's guest is a musician, producer, composer, multi instrumentalist. And yeah, just all-round legend in Tyler Bates. How are you, Tyler? I'm good, man. Uh, it's good to see you. You know, I don't know about the, uh, you know, the descriptors that you uh, just laid out there for me, but I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, oh, what, what, no. Was I wrong? There's no, you are all of those things, whether you like it or not. It's true. Yeah, I would equate legend with age, so I guess you're right. <laughs> you're correct. <laughs> no, but we really appreciate you taking the time to have a chat with us, man. Thank you very, very much. Um, as we're recording this, we can see you're in the studio. I'm sure you basically just live there at the moment with the amount of projects and just music you're always working on. How's things being lately? Is it just being busy as ever? Yeah, you know, I mean, honestly, during uh, COVID, uh, I, any any composer pretty much always worries that they'll never get another phone call. <laughs> so, um, I don't know, during COVID, you know, I, because, because I'm used to working at such a pretty intense velocity, um, I had to dive in and, and create something. So, uh, we ended up doing uh, this Dark Knight's Death Metal project, but now... Um, that the world is somewhat opening, reopening. Uh, I'm I'm busy as all get out, thankfully. Gratefully. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yes. Knock, knock wood. So. <laughs> yeah, well, there's plenty uh, we want to dive into in this conversation, but I would love to start with the kind of composing aspect of your work and everything you do, because I think there's a lot of music lovers listening to this who will not be really sure about the ins and outs on that side of the industry in particular. Now, you've worked on some huge titles in film and TV, including Deadpool, Guardians of the Galaxy, John Wick. How does the whole process happen is it a really long thought out thing where you maybe have to get a 
approved? Is it something where they contact you? Can you really run through how these things normally happen? Uh, yeah. I mean, to be honest with you, from the beginning of a career to get to the place where you're doing big studio movies is, uh, for most people, a pretty long haul. For me, it definitely was. I think things can be a little bit, you know, on, on a more expedited trajectory now just because of the many more outlets uh, or just the, the product that there is being created today as opposed to the volume of product created 20 years ago. So uh, I do think there are more opportunities now. But, um, you know, there's a tremendous amount of scrutiny placed upon any composer who is hired for practically any job at this point. Uh, it's an extremely competitive business, which I never really had thought of it that way when I first got into it. Cause I, I, you know, I, I started this side of the, the profession just by being asked by random people to score their low budget, low budget movies. And at some point I, I needed to keep uh, the lights on. So I kept pursuing opportunities in film and television after my uh my band in the late 90s split up uh, so uh i really enjoyed the collaborative process with directors because it you know i'd worked with singers my whole life but um this type collaboration was uh, a matter of focusing our energies on storytelling and emotion and and led to, for me, to a greater understanding of people in general and also to be able to adapt to so many different types of people involved in any creative endeavor. So, of course, a director is going to understand a little bit more of the concise language of communicating about music, but maybe there's a producer who has a, a huge creative investment in, in the movie or television series and they're really not well-versed in music and it's my job to, to create a vernacular in the conversation so they don't have to understand, you know, formal terminology, but uh, to get to the place where you're doing big movies, it's usually investing in directors that you uh, see as very talented and driven and work with them on their no budget to low budget projects. And hopefully they, uh, they take off from there and occasionally they do. And, and it's cool to be on that journey regardless of what, uh, what the result is. Nice. Yeah. Well, yeah. Going back to um, your time, like when you were in the band and that, that crossover period, I guess, like what is there one film or TV show or game or anything that you worked on early on that, that was like the catalyst of you going, Oh, well, this is what I want to do full time now. Well, full time that was a different uh that was a different moment. But I'd say uh like I had never met another composer until I, I completed eighteen movies, you know. So wow. I was wow. I I was purely just using my experience in the studio and learning from directors and producers, editors, re recording mixers and just absorbing as much of their process as possible so I could apply it to my own. But I, I did a bebop movie that was like my 15th score, I think, that came out on Blue Note. And I thought, okay, this is pretty cool. It's, you know, especially because my band at the time was was an unpleasant uh, experience. <laughs> and then, you know, probably our, our greatest heights were uh, were probably playing the Warp Tour and like playing CBGBs and stuff, you know. So there were moments that were, were cool. But um, 
you know, right around the year 1999, 2000, I worked with Emilio Estevez on this movie called Rated X. And then my friend Stephen Kay and I worked on Get Carter with Stallone. And yeah, that was, <laughs> that was like my first real in, right? But, but then, you know, the funny thing is I went to the theater uh, with my wife and a, and a friend to see Get Carter the Saturday it opened. And we're in Hollywood at the what used to be the Galaxy Theater. And right before the movie starts, you know, the Kodak commercial comes on with the two guys, you know, basically showing you how they're they're watching after the quality of the movie. And in the middle of that, the movie just sort of died. <laughs> it came to a screeching halt. I'm like, oh, this cannot be a good omen. So that movie tanked. Oh. Then, so it wow. took me about took me about five studio movies till I got one that actually did a respectable number at the box office. And that was like many, many movies into my career. Dawn of the Dead, I think it was, uh, I don't know why I'm thinking of these numbers, but I think it was like number 33 or something, you know, and that was my, f- my first number one film. So that was cool. But once that happens, then you have more opportunities, you know? Yeah. But yeah, that's, that's awesome. And it's, I, I guess it's, well, it's absolutely interesting for me to hear that, yeah, it, it took, you know, that long, I suppose, mm. you know, because bands really don't get that many chances. Like, I guess you couldn't probably <laughs> do 33 albums and then be like, I'm coming yeah. up, I'm telling the next one, number 34, <laughs> Mr. Big Bigun. But, yeah, how does songwriting differ from, like, being in a band to a film? How do you, yeah, how do you even... I have no idea. This is why I am so out of my depth here. Yeah, like, how do you go about creating? Well, with, so- with songwriting, with in my experience, it's generally been either myself or me working with one, possibly two other uh, writers. But generally, it's just myself and an individual. And, you know, I've had many of those type collaborations. And I liken it to working with a director, um, even writing a film score i'm thinking of the the actors and in their character roles and their voices taking the similar space in the picture as as a vocalist would in a song um Mm. so uh it's i think one is informed the next throughout my career so uh, i've always found it um, important to continue my work as a writer, producer, you know, just being in the studio, working on songs. The great thing about that is usually the buck stops there. If we think it's, it's what we love, then it's what we love. If you're writing a score for a movie, it can be what you love, but it's also with the input and required approval of many people. So it's just a different process. And that type challenges is uh, very interesting because in order to be successful, really in any movie or any TV show, you have to learn to understand the sensibilities of a number of people and then just deal with the, you know, the limitations of your resources, whether that's uh, budget for production or it's time. So you learn to, to be very good with your time management. You learn um, to get to the point of your ideas because there's limited time. Whereas if you're in a band, you could be not feeling it for a year and uh, we're (laughs) going to do the record next year, you know? So, so there are no, there are no creative days off when, when you have a job as a a film composer or TV composer. So yeah, Yeah, I don't think, yeah, I don't think they've released many films without the soundtrack. You you don't really get sick days, you know? So, 
And uh, so, so because, uh, because your time is so limited, you, you really do learn to focus. Um, I, I've always been very prolific uh, as a writer in bands, but, you know, I have to admit there have been times where, you know, you get sidetracked just from playing in the band, partying, life, whatever, and you can go, you know, a month without writing a song. But uh, that's changed. You know, I write, I write music all the time. And, um, you know, as composers, we publish a hell of a lot of music every year, probably more than most recording artists do in a career. But, you know, again, an underscore is not the same thing as a song. But in, in the case of this conversation, I guess, if what stoked it is uh, the Dark Knight's Death Metal soundtrack, that filmmaking sensibility went into the concept for that record and also the the storytelling and emotion of, you know, as, as a composer, is basically what I tried to, that's, that's basically how I tried to engage each of the artists, was really to be uh, moved by the material and to express an idea or an emotion based specifically on that material, but not necessarily like anyone else would do it, just how they interpreted it. Same as with the people voicing the characters, you know, um, but I know, I know that in making stuff like that, you know, just like some of the music I've done, I know that sometimes it can succeed and sometimes it might not, but you know, you kind of have to not give a damn and just do aspire to what you are after and aspire to what you love. And being a, a life as a film composer is a life of rejection for all the things that you see, uh, our names on there, there are a hundred times as many things that didn't work out <laughs> yeah. uh, the way we'd hoped it would. So, well, in that, in that vein, is there anybody or is there anything that you, you were part of that kind of didn't happen that you were gutted about? No, you know, I don't look at, at life that way. I just, I look at experiences as something to, to grow from there's a way you would like things to go, but if they go in another direction, there's always something to take away from that. But, um, it's part of your accrued wisdom, you know, and, uh, that's at least one thing you get with experience is, is wisdom, which can help guide you to better decision-making It can help, help you, uh, become a better person can help you become a better collaborator. So sometimes if things don't necessarily work out as you'd, you'd hoped, it's important to look for something to learn from the experience and take it with you to the next. So, you know, that's pretty much how, how I look at everything mm. I I'm involved in. Nice. Yeah. It's a very interesting process. And I think a lot of people are going to be, um, get some really good insight into that, but like when you get, so say now you've been approved to work on a film or you've had a phone call and you've been talking to a producer or a director or anything, how does that first initial bit of work happen is do you like get sent over a brief of what the film is do you get uh, sent certain scenes that they want you to work on in particular like how does the process start from the sense of you know you're working on it to then starting on the music what what what's that in between periods like for you it depends on the uh the relationship with the director oftentimes the first time i work with a director i'll come on board right as they're entering post-production where they're doing the editing and visual effects and whatnot. But once I've worked with the director, they usually ask me to come on board early to help develop some of the musical language or musical concepts um, prior to filming even. And uh, a number of directors I've worked with have filmed to 
uh, music that I wrote is an inspiration piece, you know, a suggestion for an idea or a theme for the movie. And, and at least uh, with that, they can play it on set. So the crew and the actors can hear kind of like the sensibility of the tone uh, of the music and the film, even though it, it rarely remains the same. It's still the beginning of the uh, cycle of communication that's related uh, to that that particular property. And, you know, I try and do it as much as possible so that the music we're referencing and it, it referencing in the context of the movie is mine, as opposed to either someone else's or mine from a different movie or a different TV show. So I try and get out in front of it uh, as much as possible. It's, uh, you know, time does not always permit for that to occur, but I do enjoy that work. It's fun to really be able to create freely for a while before you know, the hourglass is turned over and everything happens at hyperspeed. So, yeah, uh, yeah. it's, yeah. Uh, you know, scoring a scoring like a blockbuster type film is really the equivalent of painting a mural on the side of a moving train. You know, it's, um, it's a, it's a challenge even when it's, it's sitting still. So again, you know, you try, you have to become very quick, uh, with your mind and with your ideas and very perceptive to people around you. So you can proceed with the correct information. Um, that's the key to, to really, I think being successful on a very base level, uh, with film and television hmm. is to under, understand everyone's sensibilities to the best of your capacity and then work from there. Yeah, no, I'm sure with different kinds of films as well, it, it all depends on that, that kind of atmosphere and the whole vibe of emotion of a certain scene or a film. And especially if you look at, um, like, obviously your work with the John Wick trilogy in, in particular, I'm sure that's one that can stand out in terms of trying to switch up a vibe and, and honing on those different emotions for very pivotal scenes. Yeah, I mean, John Wick is, is super fun. For myriad reasons, uh, Chad Stahelski, the director, is really amazing. I mean, he's first off, he's lethal. He's a badass. <laughs> so all those stunts, I mean, he's done them. You know, I mean, he was Keanu's wow. double double for the Matrix, and and oh wow, Chad's very famous in that world. And and stunt people have a great sense of team. They understand that it requires. Uh, more than just themselves to be successful in the endeavor of making a movie. So it, it is fun to work with Chad, just like David Leach, because you definitely feel like you're part of a team and they're not afraid to take risks. You know, Chad loves to take risks. And then with the John Wick series, um, I started that with my friend, Joel Richard, and he and I are like brothers. So it's fun to uh, share our ideas and, and push each other into uh, uh, exploring different concepts and seeing what we come up with. You know, it's, yeah. it's the whole thing has been intense, but certainly a lot of fun. Nice. Yeah. And am I right in saying that on John Wick 2, there's actually a scene where you can be seen performing with Jeremy from Alice in Chains? No, no, uh, it's me. Huh. Uh, Ch Chad asked me to, to go to Rome to do it. So my friend, um, Dylan Island, he's a, a DJ known as the Castlevania. He's in, in oh, yeah. that. Oh, yeah. Wow. In, yeah, I know him. Yeah. So Dylan's cool. a close, close friend of mine. And, and um, so I brought him into the first John Wick to do some club tracks for us. And then on the second one, uh, Chad asked the, 
we make up this avant-garde group that was performing in the Baths of Caracalla. And then uh, Cassandra Nostalgia is the singer in, in that. So essentially, I wasn't planning on doing it, but about a week before that was shot, Chad called from uh, Rome and he's like, dude, I can't cast an extra to do this part. He says, <laughs> bring one of those effed up looking instruments that you play with the bow and uh, a bun- you know, all that makeup you wear with Marilyn Manson. And he says, that's what I want you to look like in the scene. I'm like, all right, all right, I'll do it. So, <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> but you know, I mean, when a director uh, has that sort of kick-ass attitude, you, you'll run through a wall for him. And um, it was a lot of fun. It was cold as hell, but it was a lot of fun. You know, interesting anecdote. Uh, here's something to be said for John Wick and specifically Keanu Reeves. So Dylan, the Castlevania, he and I were outside our trailers one night because we were shooting overnights. And, you know, he asked Keanu, he's like, hey, it was a Friday night. We were going to have the next two nights off. And then us, you know, band people were finishing our shoot on on a Monday night. And so this is on a Friday, Friday night. And Dylan's like, hey, Keanu, I know it's kind of lame to ask, but before we're done, can we take a photo together? And he's like, Dylan, yeah, sure, man. So, you know, Keanu was just having a smoke, you know, just getting ready for, for the beginning of the shoot. So anyway, we do our thing that night and then we're, we're off for the weekend while they're filming. And mind you, Keanu's black and blue, you know, when he's doing this, he's getting his body beat up. Mm-hmm. Like he's going, going straight from the set to an ice bath, you know, <laughs> <It's> yeah. like, <laughs> wow. he leaves it all out. He leaves it all out on the field, so to speak. So anyway, we we're shooting our final night and it's like, I don't know, four in the morning, something like that. It's cold as hell. And I see all of a sudden to my right, about 30 yards out is Keanu Reeves just leaning against this huge rock wall. And we still film for like 40 more minutes, you know, and we're talking at the end of a, a long, long day. And so we're done. They say, all right, it's a wrap. And all of a sudden Keanu just walks over and says, Hey Dylan, let's do that photo. Nobody would he do waited. that. No. What? Nobody would do it. That's I've fucking never, insane. Anybody else would have said, "Oh, sorry, you know, it's a long day. He had to go." Yeah. You know, I mean, nobody does that. So I that's, mean, I, I yeah, can share. That's, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's a, that kind of spirit though is is pervasive in the John Wick series. And even when I was was out touring uh, in this past uh, several years. There are people that I met all around the world who are just so into John Wick. It was super uh, s- inspiring and fun to uh, to know that it was really landing with people in countries around the world. So, yeah, nice. really enjoyed it. Yeah. It must be nice as well to have that kind of crossover where you can have an opportunity like that to kind of incorporate your film scores and all the band stuff and work as a musician on the other side of things at the same time when you have some opportunities like that. Yeah. Yeah, it is cool. And yeah, Cantrell and I, uh, by the way, we, we did write a song for the second John Wick film and it's been great that I've, I've had the opportunity to do that in all of the movies, um, the John Wick film. So, uh, Jerry's a good friend and, and it was, uh, it was great to do that. Same with Gavin Rossdale on the last one. We yeah. were right. We, we were writing songs for his record anyway. So, um, bullet holes just kind of happened. It wasn't written for John Wick per se, but it just kind of happened. So anyway, you know, it's, it's, you know, that series has definitely led to a lot of interesting collaborations outside the films. So 
really grateful that uh, I've had the opportunity to work on it. Yeah. Have you come a- have you come across any um directors who just don't have a clue musically who are just like I don't know Ooh. what to, like or or does somebody <laughs> always come to you with like the idea or the premise or do they yeah, have you have you ever had? I guess what I'm trying to say is, have you ever had a director just come up and it's like, look, I don't know anything about this. <laughs> you you yeah. create it. Oh, okay. Yes, and you know, sometimes they're they're among the greatest directors to work with. It's it's more dangerous when they say they know music inside and out um, because that's an opinion, I guess. But you know, if you if you hire an artist and you know we are some form of a commission we're commissioned fine artists to some extent as composers you probably want to allow the artist to to put the paint on the canvas before you you start giving them directions you know and i think excellent directors really encourage you to do that some want to control everything so much that uh at some point, you know, the limitations can be extremely frustrating, but, you know, that's also a challenge, you know, that you grow from. So, one of the things I've, I've learned in life is to use your experiences to really know uh, the type of people you want in your life and the type of experiences you want to have and just focus more on manifesting that. And fortunately, it happened. So, uh, I have incredible people in my life and, and extremely talented people who are constantly providing uh presenting challenges to me that that helped me to grow so it's good you know i'm still fired up every day of my life so yeah awesome yeah. yeah well yeah i'm just looking at i'm just looking at this list here now of people and it's it's just unbelievable like the amount of people <laughs> the level of people you've worked with and the amount of people and how many you've collaborated with three or four times as well so that's going to say a lot about how you work as well that they've come back to you as well. But how was like, how was working with like Zack Snyder on Dawn of the Dead and then 300 and then Watchmen, Jesus Christ, Watchmen. <laughs> Sucker punch. Yeah, it's nonstop. Yeah. How, <laughs> yeah. How, yeah. How's well, that? Look, here's, here's another like just a crazy story about the business. So, it, you know, again, after a couple of those uh, studio movie flops, um, I was back down to, you know, ground zero again. And a music supervisor by the name of G. Mark Roswell uh, was very prominent in the 90s and in the first decade of this uh, century. And he, he and I became good friends through this experience. But uh, he, was, he was the music supervisor on this little Mario Van Peebles movie called Badass, which essentially he was playing his own father in that film. And while I loved doing that movie... I lost money on the movie, you know, it was like tiny, tiny, but it was really great working with Mario and working with uh, G Mark. And so G Mark got into Dawn of the Dead and I didn't even realize they're making a new Dawn of the Dead, but he told me about it. And he says, Hey, uh, I think you would be great on Dawn of the Dead. And I'm like, but I, I don't have a repertoire of like creepy orchestral music, you know, whereas there are many composers in Hollywood who did. And he said, you know what? I'm going to give you the script and just write a couple pieces of music just so when the time comes that you have something to play to the director. I'm like, all right. I still didn't have a great repertoire, even though the darker, creepier, you know, vibes are natural to me. Um, you know, I grew up in a very creepy environment. So it's like I felt felt it my whole childhood. But so anyway, uh, 
you know, I finally got a meeting with Zack Snyder and I had the two pieces of music I'd written, but I made a CD of tons of avant-garde music, just weird stuff. And then stuff that now has become a little more commonplace, like Penderecki and, and uh, Ligeti and Bartek. And, and so anyway, the funny thing is I'm meeting with Zack Snyder, the editor and G Mark Roswell, and they're meeting with every composer who's done a scary movie in Hollywood. I give him this CD and I'm like, check out, track eight it's Penderecki and just as I said that Eric Newman uh Randy Newman's son was the was the producer (laughs) he walked into the the meeting with a cd in his hand he says oh my god my dad said if he was directing this movie he would use Penderecki's music so he had a Penderecki cd in his hand wow so Zach didn't even know what a Penderecki was. And, and when I played him a, a piece of music from it, he's like, oh, my God, that is disturbing. He said, that's amazing. <laughs> and I said, well, I'm just telling you that's conceptually like kind of one element to the score that I would introduce that that concept. So he liked it. But then needless to say, they went and they were hiring a different composer. Uh, the studio, I think, made a, an executive decision and it didn't work out and weeks and weeks later you know i'd already seen the the dawn of the dead trailer at the texas chainsaw massacre movie i went and saw that marcus misspell directed and then i get a call from g mark roswell and he says hey i think this movie could be yours i'm like what happened (laughs) and he just said you know it didn't work out so far with music and every time we talk about music the directors keep saying that he likes that tyler guy so he wants to meet you again and one thing led to the next and there you go and so that movie ended up being yeah my first number one nice yeah. Fuck. Yeah. That's, yeah what a story <laughs> and then yeah to go on to well yeah i think I, th- I think you've had like 11 featured films go to number one straight away at the box office that you've worked on as well so i, I don't know some <laughs> somewhere in, somewhere around there um but I, i'm grateful to have even one you yeah. know so yeah um you never know where one thing will lead you know mm. i've nearly every director i've worked with um at their beginnings was on something more independent and then a few of them have blown up into uh into you know bigger careers and whatnot and sometimes they don't but even some of those those uh directors are among my very favorite to work with so i kind of I, I really don't care that much as long as the people are cool i'm down nice you know well, speaking of just uh, mad experiences, we've got to talk about Dark Knight's Death Metal. What a project this must have been to work on, because not only are you really soundtracking just different experiences from some iconic DC characters, but collaborating with some huge names in rock and metal like Andy Biersack, Chino from Deftones, Dave Lombardo. How was this all of that for you? How did this start? Because that kind of collaboration between those two worlds of the comic books and metal just seemed like a perfect fit with this. Yeah, I mean, I've been attuned to it for a while. And having worked on so many graphic novel-oriented films and video games and just, just you know, d- sort of fantastical-type movies and whatnot, it's always... Uh, in sparked my imagination for the many potential dimensions that these properties could be expressed uh, or supported by with music. And, you know, I love, I love rock music, of course. I mean, I've played it my whole life and, um, you know, obviously I play guitar all the time and I'm recording all the time, 
So I'm, I'm, you know, always looking for an excuse to uh, focus on that side of my, my creativity. Right before COVID, uh, Matt Keller from DC Comics called me and he and I have known each other for years. And, and he asked if I would be interested in creating a soundtrack for Dark Knight's Death Metal. I knew Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo. I mean, those guys are uh, at the top of their game and incredible uh, people as well as, uh, you know, absolutely uh, gifted artists. I was like, sure, you know, but then COVID hit. And I'm like, all right, how are we going to make this happen? And I had already just talked to, you know, um, the first song that was being made, that was made for the soundtrack was, uh, was now you've really done it. And I did that with Greg Capullo, uh, Greg Capullo, Greg Pucciato, Greg Capullo's the illustrator, uh, (laughs) Greg Pucciato uh, from Dillinger Escape Plan. And then my friend Gil Sharon, you know, Gil and I are like brothers and Greg and I have become to be like brothers as well. But, so we did that song and then I had been interested in working with Chelsea Wolf and I decided I was going to track her down just to do a song together. And then the timing of this worked out. And then the same thing with Starcrawler and then Gunship had contacted me simultaneously to do a collab with them. And so they had, uh, they, you know, Dan Hay kept uh, referencing Dave Lombardo in that conversation <laughs> And I'm like, why don't we just have Dave play drums on it? And like, <laughs> what? I'm like, I love that. Nah. I'm like, Dave's one of my close friends, you know? I mean, yeah. we're, we're, you know, our wives are close. We're close. We hang out a lot. So um, Dave's always up for a, a challenge to step out of his comfort zone or what he's known as, as, a, as a musician and to take on a new challenge. So Dave played on, uh, on uh, Berserker. And so that made sense for it to then become part of the record. And then we worked outward from there. And of course, uh, when Loma Vista came on board as our label partner, we, we then examined, you know, some of their artists like health, those guys are my friends and we've worked together before. So that makes perfect sense, you know, and um, I love working with those guys. And then, you know, I had a prior experience with Bron from Mastodon and we, we had discussed Mastodon and thought that was a great idea. And, and so on and so forth. But the, the collaboration uh, between DC and the label and myself and then all the artists was really fun. I think um, the motion comic aspect of it, the Sonic Metalverse, was probably me figuring, what the hell? It's, it's like COVID. I don't have any work. So we're just going to blow this thing up and I'm going to just uh, try and have some fun and engage the artists in a forum that would allow for all of them to intersect, even though they don't know one another and to literally intersect in the construct of, of the source material. So there are artists I'm pretty sure who don't know one another, you know, not most of them don't know David Hasselhoff, but Hasselhoff's <laughs> a good friend of mine. So it's not like David, will you do Superman? He's like, sure, pal, you know, whatever. So, um, what awesome. No, David, David's been a great friend. And, mm. uh, so I believe um, I believe we are trying to get uh, we're trying to get older, David actually <laughs> right. to come on the podcast. He loves the Welsh um, apparently, doesn't he? So yeah, he's he's married um, he's married a girl who lives ten miles away from where we live. So <laughs> oh, we're, trying, yeah. we're trying to yeah, get in touch with David about coming on. Haley, um, well, you guys will just have to email me and I'll link you up with David directly because oh, he's oh, Tyler. He's, he's, Tyler, he's, uh, <laughs> he's in Germany right now, I think, till October, but. Um, 
yeah, we just cut his his new single right before he left. And um, like I said, he he's a good friend, and he is in Starcrawler's video that's going to premiere next week for the song that's on the Dark Knight's Death Metal soundtrack. It's it's actually the the only proper music video for the record. So it's a great great video that Gilbert Trejo directed, and um, you know, Starcrawler and I are working together right now on their new record. So it's all part of just this ongoing conversation we've had. So yeah, a lot of fun, but yeah, David just did that for, for me as a favor. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, sure. You want me to go downtown and do what? I'm like, you know, if you can go downtown and be in this video with, with this band uh, that I'm working with, they're awesome. I didn't, I didn't even go to the shoot. So uh, <laughs> Imagine being a bando. Imagine being a star call. And you're like, has, has, that fucking, has David Asloff turned up? I'm like, what? Yeah. yeah, Tyler sent him. Is Tyler coming? <laughs> no. Unbelievable. That's fucking no, brilliant. Are you kidding? Those kids are so cool. They they they've been through everything and they know everyone. So um I don't think they were shocked by any stretch, but the Hoff was a good he was a good sport and did whatever he was asked to do and had fun and uh he he's always looking to elevate every situation. Actually the Sonic Metalverse was born of a, a long trailer that I essentially made. And so it was really just limited to, to uh, Andy Beersack from Black Veil Brides and Chelsea Wolf, And then, and Charles Fleischer, who's a good friend of mine, who was the voice of Roger Rabbit. And, you know, he's, he's a fascinating uh, friend that, uh, that I've, uh, fascinating person I've become friends with over the past several years. But, uh, so Charles has such a, an incredible voice and he voiced Joker for us in this thing. And Andy was so good and Chelsea was so good. And then Charles, um, once DC saw it, they're like, you know, how would you feel about blowing this up into like a full series? I'm like, well, that's a hell of a lot of work, but uh, you know, <laughs> because it's really just a pet project, you know, I mean, it's yeah. not, there was no budget for that, but it was fun. And, you know, fortunately each of the artists, came to the table with a great deal of enthusiasm to voice a DC character. And the cool thing was, it's like, we're fans of the comics and we really didn't care what anybody thought about previous voices of the characters. We were just doing our own thing. Fortunately, Scott and Greg participated. So that was a signal to the fans that they endorse whatever, you know, we're doing with this, this thing, but it was really just uh, a matter of us celebrating their work and also a great way for the artists on the soundtrack to meet in, in one medium based on the material. Again, you know, the songs were, were created that way as were these performances and it was pretty cool. Yeah. No, just the whole kind of crossover and just the like, parallels between the two worlds is just a brilliant idea. I mean, like, you know, as a kid, I would have loved to have had something like this and known that Batman oh, yeah. was into metal. <laughs> yeah, well, it makes sense with the comics, though, right? You know, I mean, it's such a visual world and there's so much conflict in, in at least, you know, DC comics. You know, there's a lot of uh, dark uh, human nature that's expressed through these stories. And I think a lot of what uh, is written about in, in metal songs, uh, rock songs, is applicable. You know, it taps into that sort of violent 
world or the corner of your, you know, darkest corner of your mind and also the fantasy world. So the premise of writing songs based on this material was very natural for all the artists. Uh, we did set out to make a diverse soundtrack and just wanted to make it as holistic as possible. So like once Dave was, uh, was involved with us on the gunship berserker track, then the motion comic happened. I'm like, Dave, would you mind doing a guest spot on all the motion comics? He's like, yeah, sure, dude, I'm into it. So, <laughs> so Dave, Dave was our uh, guest uh, musician on each of the seven episodes. Nice. Wow. <laughs> How did you, cause some of these are, uh, yeah, loads of very different artists. Like you've got Denzel Curry on there as well. And I'm just wondering if, did you have these I, these people in mind prior to it or were they somehow suggested to you or how was how did that work? I would say it was a combination of both. Obviously, the record company, uh, Loma Vista, and I have a, had working relationship for years. And of course, they had ideas, but we know each other well enough to have like, you know, honest conversations about what we think is, is right. And, uh, there were really no conflicts in, in that discussion. It was all really proactive, uh, very much coming from the same brain, uh, when we were talking about asking artists to be on the soundtrack and everyone we wanted to be on it joined us for it. It was amazing. But, uh, yeah, there are, there are also aspects to my prior experiences that have probably factored into this. Dave Lombardo, the reason he and I met each other was because a friend at Schechter Guitars introduced us when I was doing Dawn of the Dead. I wanted Dave to play drums on Dawn of the Dead, so he did. <laughs> uh, that's where we became friends. That's uh, oh. 100, 100 years ago. But um, everybody that, that we asked to be part of this was enthusiastic about it. And it's really interesting how they tapped into different aspects of the material and to to engage the artists and to change up, like, say, the perspective on the comic, I didn't give the same issue of the comic to the similar artists. Like, I chose disparate artists to focus on the issues. Now, it wasn't an assignment for them to give a literal uh, recitation uh, or, or, you know, summary of any comic issue. It was just a matter of, that's the source material for your inspiration for whatever you're going to write. We don't need to talk about the actual characters themselves. And so I found it to be very uh, interesting. The soccer mommy song. I think the issue that I gave to Sophie was the same one that Bran from Mastodon got. So. Ooh. Yeah. It's interesting to see how, how they yeah. came up with different shit. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. yeah. So. <laughs> But they were they were asked to just remain themselves and have fun and don't worry about writing singles. Just write a song that you feel is your natural re response to the material. And I think because there wasn't this uh, mandate to try and write hit songs or try and write metal songs or or what have you, everyone was free to do what they wanted to do. And you know, I crossed over on a lot of the the songs with the artists, and it was it was good fun but i think that's why we had uh, we have such a spirited album and then so many of the artists on the record know dc comics inside and out like besides andy beersack who you're not going to stump him on anything you will not stump denzel curry either he knows this stuff 
front to back. So it's really cool to nerd out with everybody and, and just be into it, you know? So it wasn't about once we got into the process, it wasn't about the status in the business or someone being a rock star or not. It was just about creating music we thought was great and that we enjoyed. And I thought that was really one of the most rewarding aspects of the project was that, you know, artistically it was very pure and, you know, I'm always aspiring to set the table for those type of collaborations, you know, just things that really are exciting and elevate people. And, you know, where the, the end result is not something that was just strictly mandated or it's not pandering to the expectations of a fan base. And speaking of like, producing work and working with other artists like that in particular i know earlier you mentioned about working with gavin rosdale and bush on their last record you produced and co-wrote a lot of those songs and i was wondering if you could just talk to us about that process a bit because i've listened to that record quite a lot um it seems that it's really returned bush to form with a lot of their diehard fans as well what, what was it what is it like working with gavin in a close environment like that uh, Gavin's great. I mean, he's an absolute pro, an incredible singer, and a very, very diligent, hard worker. When it comes to writing songs and lyrics, uh, he's continually like uh, revising his lyrics, really working toward making the best. The work part is fairly effortless with him. He and I, for whatever reason, just had kismet in the studio. Uh, his manager is a friend of mine just asked us to get together and see if we uh, were inspired to write. And, you know, we knocked out a few songs really rather quickly and um, had a lot of fun doing it, you know, have become very good friends in the process. And it feels good to be part of that. And, you know, we've worked on some new material, which we're excited about. And, um, you know, if I have anything to do with, with uh, an artist kind of getting a new surge of energy in their, their music or their career. I'm, I'm thrilled. It goes both ways though. You know, it's not just me doing stuff. You know, Gavin is, is somebody who has such charisma and energy that it it makes me raise my game and inspires me to want to play and to create and very fortunate that my immediate friend group is like that. Like Jerry Cantrell, He's, he's a very close friend. We just worked on his solo record together and it's a, an amazing record. I don't think it's exactly what everyone might expect, but, but it's, it's better than what that is. I think. <laughs> um, because he's just so, he's so passionately fired up about music and yeah. it's fun. It's fun to help stoke those fires, you know? So really that's, that's the, the greatest thrill for me is to try and help, people especially when they're more seasoned get back to that that 17 year old version of themselves not give a shit about anything but just they're just it's all about making music and and loving that and getting excited over a song or a riff that's the fun stuff and you have to set the table for that to happen in your life or it just isn't going to happen and you know i've had uh, again the good fortune of meeting so many interesting people and, and having circumstances that lead to from one thing to the next, you know, working with Starcrawler now is, has been an incredible uh, journey with them and uh, to see uh, this new record develop the way it, it has is uh, it's got us all very uh, amped and 
to be part of the development of that music and be part of those moments where, you know, the artist is excited about what's happening is, is for me, it's very energizing. So yeah, I'm way into it. Yeah, no, it's lovely to see you just trying to get that passion from artists and stuff as well. But talking about all those different people you've worked with in terms of like rock and metal and everything like that, you said basically from Bush to Rob Zombie as people you've uh, had the pleasure of, of collaborating with in the past. Who surprised you the most, it, like creatively? Is there anyone that really sticks out to you that you were like, oh my God, like their process or just the way they work really stuck with you after all these years? Oh, everyone has an, a, a, a remarkable process. Um, I've worked a lot with Alexis Krauss from Sleigh Bells. She's phenomenal. Um, I can't say enough about, about her, you know, kind of, a, a you know, edged out topic is Marilyn Manson. My creative work with him was phenomenal. Like, every session was always spirited. It was very positive and it's a, it's a touchy subject obviously because there's so much uh, swirling around him right now. But my personal experience creatively uh, was extremely positive and we're both really proud of the music that we made. And it just really felt like we were just doing it for ourselves. It wasn't about, Oh, well people will like this or people will like that. It's like, what do we like? And you know, he uh, definitely pushed me to to play a lot, a lot of guitar on on his records uh, that we did together. So it was it was just fun. I can only, you know, I can only be responsible for the creative aspect of of relationships. You know, um, I try and bring out bring out the best in people, and and I've been uh, lucky enough to have many people around me. Uh, do that in return. And so that's where I, that's where I relate to these creative experiences. I mean, if everyone in Hollywood stopped working because they work with some people who <laughs> have some issues, then there would be nothing. Yep. Yeah. Well, yeah. Same here. <laughs> same here. Um, no, that's, uh, but that's yeah, is it a question I want to know is, is there anyone who you've, uh, you've not worked with yet who you Ooh. are dying to collaborate with? You know, it's, this is interesting. Um, a few years ago, maybe it's 2017, I guess, uh, little Uzi Vert was at my studio. What? what? And I really, <laughs> I like, I like him a lot. And we were talking about working together, but I was out touring. I was in Europe and Japan and stuff at the time. So I was not available to, to work with him. And then of course he exploded. Um, but you know, I wanted to work with him then anyway. So it would be great if we're able to link up at some point. I'm just always, again, I'm up for the challenge. You know, I love rock music and I can lay into it pretty effortlessly on a daily basis. But there's so many artists I'd be down to work with, not just in rock music too. You know, um, like I said, my first score that was ever published really, uh, or at least released on an album was a bebop score. So I would be down to do some jazz records as a producer, you know, that'd be great. Um, you know, the list is pretty long. I'm thankful for all the people who have uh, trusted me enough to open themselves to working with me. So uh, I'm very excited about the, the projects I have lined up, but I generally don't speak 
about them until they're in the can. That's fair. That's, so that's fair. No, that's yeah, so totally good. understandable. I, I don't think anybody <laughs> listening to this is going to expect the answer, little Uzi Vert. No, no. And I am chuffed. I am. <laughs> I am. E- I am eager to hear that project. So you've got to fucking do it now. We're going to well, make it happen. I'm going to write it down. I yes, don't know please. him, but I'm going to find a way. <laughs> oh yeah. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm a, I'm working with some some rappers right now that love metal music. So Ooh. that's really interesting. So we're we're uh, crossing genres between trap and metal and and it's really natural for them. Really natural for them. So uh, I'm excited about where that will uh, wind up, but we're um, we're in the thick of it right now. And uh, you know again, it, you know I love all music. I mean, there's great music of all genres and there's garbage of all genres. So, (laughs) you know, uh, I'm always up for the challenge and I don't want to wash, rinse, repeat my life. You know, I want to continue to grow and, and see what's new and what I'm capable of, you know, and in the process, I know I'm going to fail at times, but, uh, the challenge is worth taking on just to see what you're made of, you know? Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to some of these new projects and collaborations. But Tyler, just a couple more very quick things as we wind down here before we let you go. Um, one thing I did want to ask, because obviously we've talked in depth about your work behind the scenes in a lot of films and albums, working with bands and stuff. But obviously, as people will know, you've told the world performing, playing guitar at some of the biggest festivals, some of the biggest stages, some of the most famous arenas. When people look at your career, do you, is it quite interesting for you just the fact that some people will recognize you as both sides of that spectrum, as someone in the spotlight, but also someone behind the scenes? Do you quite like the fact that you have that mixture? I love to play live, perform, you know, whatever. It, it was interesting that, uh, let's just say a little further on in my life was the first time I played for massive crowds, you know? Um, but it was fun to go out playing music I'd written, uh, in that context. So I'll always enjoy playing, performing and playing music, but my friends who are the actual rock stars have called me rock star and I <laughs> correct them. And I say, no, rock star adjacent. <laughs> <laughs> parallel, parallel. Yeah, you know, 
I prefer, I kind of prefer exactly that. I'm not, look, if you look at my social media, for the most part, someone who works with me, one of my associates will repost something that the record company or a studio will put out. But, you know, I really don't care so much to have um, that type of focus on me. You know, I'm, I'm cool in a supporting role as long as I can go out and smash a guitar every now and again, I'm happy. So, (laughs) but I don't need to be the ticket, you know? Um, My experience is so unorthodox. uh, I can, you know, I'm not unaware of it, but I just take it as it comes. So, you know, I, I know who I am well enough to not to, to not have to tell everyone what I'm doing, you know, (laughs) or to draw, draw attention to myself. You know, I'm just trying to work with great, great people and do things, you know, create things that I'm excited by and hopefully Mm. proud of at the end. Nice. Well, that's a lovely, lovely look on everything. And one more question from me before we go, I've got to ask this because doing some research and trying to get some insight into things, I read that apparently you once lived in a haunted log cabin that you had to have two exorcisms in and everything. Is, is this true? Please just fill us in a little bit about that. I hate to say it, but it's, it's absolutely true. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. and I, I would not expect the layperson to believe uh, in serious paranormal activity unless they've experienced it. But it really took about a year before our family accepted the idea. We kind of thought we were going crazy at first, especially when my mother who spent a lot of time alone in the house when we first uh, moved out there, but it was a log cabin in the woods and it was scary as hell living there, you know? It was a lot of work, too. We, we had horses, and it was a heavily forested uh, area. So when I saw Halloween as a little kid, that just destroyed me. I was screwed forever. So, um, And then I and then you go on to work on Halloween. So it's a Now, fun- that is too weird. That is just... That's too weird. I mean, when Rob called me up one day and just said, Hey, how would you feel about doing a Halloween movie? I'm like are you serious? He's like, yeah. I'm like, yeah, cool. So he's like, we'll do a new version of the theme, you know, just like amp it up or something. I need to make a presentation. So uh, that's where we began. And that was a, an interesting challenge because, you know, the more you stay close to the original shape, you know, the Michael Myers shape, the less a deviation from the John Carpenter themes really will work in the context of that. I think that's why Rob really broke away from it more in the second movie and kind of really did his own thing because the closer you are to the tradition of the Halloween uh, franchise, the fewer choices you can actually make that, that will work. Um, it's interesting how powerful, how completely galvanized John Carpenter's creation of that franchise is. I think there's, there's nearly nothing in existence this is, um, what would the word be, uh, uh, proprietary. So it's very, very difficult to introduce ideas that don't, that are not cut from that cloth of his original first two films. Anyway, it was cool. It was cool. You know, when you go into something like that, a million people are going to hate on you for it, but say la vie. You know, Rob, Rob was great to work with. Yeah. Well, yeah, just, well, just before we go, just to, 
nip back to the paranormal story because I know people are going to be going you are you mentioned ghosts and then stop mentioning ghosts oh sorry um, no 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 no, not for you for me no no they're thinking of us yeah, people yeah, listen yeah. to this now shouting Sean get, get him to talk about the ghosts for Christ's sake so um, yeah what was the what was yeah. the straw that broke the camel's back then what was the what made you need the exorcisms um, well we started we, we had to replace the roof on the house. And then one of the roofers swore that he was punched in the face and he fell off the roof and broke his leg. Now he and his brother have been doing this his whole life. And we knew a bunch of things had been, been occurring. And then, you know, my, my aunt and uncle were living with us at the time. And our, you know, my uncle was like a Charles Bronson type, you know, and hard ass, you know, that happened to him as well. He didn't break his, his leg, but some things happened to him when he was working on the house. He was an electrician. He was helping us out. And the sequence of events seemed to just completely amplify as time went on. And so my mother was very fascinated by all this. So she would meet different psychics and whomever. And so eventually uh, we had the first exorcism performed in the house. I was not allowed to attend, but things got worse after that. And, um, it, it remained uh, fairly active uh, until, you know, I was 19. My mother died and then we we moved out of the house and, and the house was raised and a n- neighborhood was built on the property. So who knows if anyone's having any trouble these days, but uh, yeah. I'm long gone. I'm back in my... <laughs> I'm back in my native California, far away from that place. Yeah, I was going to say, you should maybe like send an email to someone in the neighborhood to see, hey, yeah. have you had any activity? Have you, have you, been, pushed, have you been punched off a roof? Uh, well, yeah, uh, it was a very, very strange time in my life. You know, I mean, I, I had done some, some interesting odd jobs, you know, unwittingly digging graves and, you know, but not graves at a graveyard, graves somewhere where there's not supposed to be graves. <laughs> um, that's a touchy subject. So, that's a touchy subject. Uh, uh, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I had a lot of re- really bizarre experiences that I didn't quite realize were uh, until, you know, I, I moved on a few years from that part of my life. But it's been colorful. And I think all, all of my early experiences have absolutely informed the way I think about music and the what i see in movies and and uh the potential for storytelling and that's really you know part of what inf- inspired me to want to uh, take dark knight's death metal and create a a new visual storytelling element uh based on on that and i'm i'm thankful that scott and greg trusted me enough to to fuck with that so yeah yeah Nice. Well, yes. Congratulations on it all. It's, fa- it's fantastic. Everything I've heard from it so far has been awesome. So thank you. Um, yeah, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking the time, man. This has been such a wonderful conversation. We very much enjoyed it. And yeah, very excited to see what comes next from the uh, many projects of Tyler Bates. All right. Thank you, gentlemen. Have a great day. You're Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, hang on, hang on. Yeah. Did he just say digging graves in places he shouldn't have? Yeah. Yeah. He did. Yeah. He did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He might have. Um. So yeah. So he takes 149 episodes before we had the guest um admit to uh 
were digging graves. So um, it's taken longer than I thought it would have. <laughs> <laughs> I just love... It was the fact that at the end, that, that came right at the end of the conversation. Sean and I looked at each other like, hang on, what? Let's, let's, can we can we do another episode just on this? I mean, what? Oh, but so many amazing stories from a hell of a career. Tyler Bates has put such a big influence on so many people and they probably don't even know it. That's the maddest thing. Yeah, he's fucking awesome. What a lovely chap. And um, yeah, we had a great, great strange off-topic chat with him and i fucking loved it and he was absolutely lovely to us so thank you very much to tyler and his team once again yes and don't forget you can now go and check out the new dc dark knights death metal project there's a whole soundtrack album featuring some of your favorite bands from everyone from black veil brides to dave lombardo mastodon deftones so much more and a few sure art video series is available online as well where Andy Biersack is Batman and David Hasselhoff is Superman that's the world I want to live in and I also want the Hoff on here straight away so Tyler please Come help on, us up man. yeah please please Tyler please we've we very much enjoyed having you on if we can ew. Come, on Come, on with with <laughs> Come on with the Hoff that'd be cool Imagine just having David Asloff, who's recently married a woman who lives literally 10 miles away from me. Just have him come on and we just talk to him like he's just a Welsh mucker. <laughs> How good would that be like, Dio! Fucking something, Dio Asloff! How's it going, uh, man? It'd be fucking incredible. Let's fingers crossed. Fingers crossed that happens. But no, what a guest. Thank you again. Um, I very, very much enjoyed it. Um, me too. What have you been up to this this week, Sean? Have you been busy behind the scenes? I've uh, I went I did a little bit of travelling this uh, weekend. I went oh, up yes. to Manchester and saw um, the wonderful All Time Low perform in a lovely theatre venue. I thought it was worth oh, nice. worth mentioning. Um, first American band I've seen tour back over here in the UK since the pandemic. Is it? Yeah, I don't think I've seen an American band, especially at their own gig. Since oh, since all this has happened, gig. yeah, mm. their own gig maybe. But you saw American bands are slam dunk. You lying fucker? Oh yeah, obviously, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, in a in a in an actual venue, not in an open field. Oh, all right. And it was good, was it? Awesome. I you you forget how many mega pop punk hits all time they'll have because there's just their back catalog now is insane. Um, it just I just wish he'd uh, fuck up and come on a podcast. Like. Well, I, I, we are trying, and I'm hoping it'll, it'll happen I one know. day. Um, our good friends in the main supported as well. Um, nice. Trying they've to win. Been on. They are cool guys. Then they, they are. They've been they on. are. They are trying to win the crowd over. I I, I think they did that. Um, John nicked someone's hat and uh, poked a lot of fun. Uh, and so they came on. This is an ultimate uh, way to win over an English crowd for sure. They came on to Sweet Caroline. And then ba, started ba, ba. and started doing all that with the crowd to warm them up. But before they what went into their songs, song? like what is it about that song? The fucking it's been passed down through generations. Like, like why uh, do, do people to, give a shit? Do you want me shit? to tell you? Do you want me to tell you? Because singing on. it feels so good, so good, so good. Da 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 da. Ba ba. Right, right. We've got a Patreon. <laughs> Go to patreon.com for us. That's happening. Um, some people we need to thank, and these are these people. Thank you very much. Kylie Wheeler, Mayumi Leeway, Mikey Engler, Janelle Caston, Mitch Perry, Kelly Young, Kelly Ewan, Dilly Grimwood, Liam Connolly, Drew Styles, Paul Hirschfield, Nathan Croshaw, Emma Barber, Sammy G, Tony Michael, Kat Besson, a full stop, Captain Hannibal, 
Jenny Robson, Murray Grimwood, Mike Cox, Small, Johnny Phillips, Amy Campion, Tom Owen, Caroline Robinson, Chris Howard, Craig Govan, Kevin Clark, Louis Cook, Martina McManus, Danny Eaton, Carl Pendlebury, James McNaught, Craig Harris, Jenny Munster, Lucy Deards, Emily Perry, Kelly Cannon, Stuart McNaught, Livy Cropper, John and Emma, Jason Heredia, Becky Andy, Lydia Henderson, Adam King of the Goss Parslow. Ollie will Morgan be reading the names for episode 50 next week as he has done every 50th so far. Well, I was going to mention this after you uh, you finished these well, names. Yes, so. the answer is yes now. So everybody change him into very, very difficult names that he can't pronounce. Thank you very much, Josh. I wouldn't buy anything with Velcro. It's such a rip-off crisp. I think that was last week's. So that's lazy. Thank you very much, Alice Wood, Reese Bowring, Ben Evans, Amy Chilvers, Kate Stevenson, Connor Lewins, Daniel Stevenson, Kieran Allen, Keris Andrews. If you are part of our Patreon and you are in the section that gets a video from me, check your email, check your junk. I sent some videos out yesterday or the day before and um, I I might have sent you yours. So if I have cool, if I've sent you somebody else's by accident, I'm very, very sorry because that did happen twice. I love how you were so outraged with my pun that you did all of that in one one tone. One tone, just yep. that's done now. Yep. That's I want to get it done. I want to get it done now. I don't, I don't, no, I don't no. want to let you talk. I don't want to let no. you talk anymore. You're going to ruin I, our business. I'm You're going to ruin our business if you keep talking shit. I just need to put in some extra information there. Obviously, patreon.com forward slash sapning if you want to support us. That is the best way to. There's loads of extra bonuses and you get involved in our wonderful community. If you want to send us a message or anything, head over to at sapningpod on Twitter and Instagram. And of course, if you're good with numbers, next week is episode 150. So that's going to be a celebration. We've got a guest on we think a lot of people are going to enjoy. And as Who's I that, do on <laughs> every 50th episode, I'm going to be reading out the names oh, at the end. Sign up to the Patreon and just make this motherfucker <laughs> fucking squirm. Please, yeah, please, so please make me say weird shit. Just Even if it's it. just for a week, just fucking a quid or whatever the lowest amount of money you can give is. Go to patreon.com force us happening. Let's make this motherfucker's life hell, please. <laughs> so just tune in once, next week like, to make sure you check that out because I'm yes, probably going to struggle and it's probably going to incriminate me in some way, fashion, form. He's struggling already. He's struggling yeah, already. He said incriminate I struggle, wrong. I struggle on the, day, it's, on it's the daily. Be to be fair. Fingers crossed. <laughs> oh well that's made it sad that's a sad fucking end <laughs> fuck up trying to win people over that's the end of this episode if you've enjoyed it at Sapping Pod give us a fucking listen help us out to Patreon subscribe where you can share it with your friends and family rate it as highly as you can this is fucking over episode 149 featuring the mighty Tyler Bates thank you very much Sapnin! Sapnin! You're listening to Sapnin Podcast with Sean Smith and Morgan Richards. Thank you very much for downloading this podcast or streaming it or I don't I don't know what else you do with podcasts. Um, thank you very much.